It's time for our weekly news recap, where we take you behind the headlines with local journalists working on stories like these. The Chicago City Council enters the 21st century today. For the first time, aldermen voted electronically. Ladies and gentlemen, about to make history here. Please get out your iPads, log in. And Mayor Lightfoot setting up a city council panel to work on plans for a new Chicago casino. Mayor Lori Lightfoot has chosen a former United Airlines director and lifelong Chicagoan to fill the 11th ward vacancy on the Chicago City Council. Lee would be the first Chinese American to serve in city council if her appointment is approved next week. That's a lot, and it only scratches the surface. So here to help us make sense of the week is WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky. Welcome back, Amanda, and so nice to meet you in person. Yes, finally. I love it. <laughs> and on the phone with us is Alex Nitkin, editor and City Hall reporter for The Daily Line. Great to have you back, Alex. Thanks. Great to be here. Hopefully I can get back in person soon enough. All right. Well, we're going to start off with city council news. Yesterday, Mayor Lightfoot announced her choice to succeed convicted alderman Patrick Daly Thompson. Alex, tell us what you know about Nicole Lee. Well, Nicole Lee is at this point or until very recently was the director of social impact optimization and global community engagement for Chicago based United Airlines. The way that Mayor Lightfoot put it yesterday is that means that she is in charge of doing good. The way that we would maybe describe it, she's in charge of corporate giving and the sort of nonprofit relationship portfolio with uh, United. It's a role that she's had for more than a decade, and her background is really in various different parts of the private sector, you know, consulting. She's worked in, in finance. Um, but I think that the uh, another sort of critical part of her resume is that she is born and bred in Chicago's Chinatown. It's mm -hmm. a very, very important part of her sort of identity and her, you know, social and political uh, uh, life and civic life. She's, a, you know, a member of the, um, you know, LSCs and very engaged with, with, with schools there and, and was yesterday describing how she has basically lived in the same apartment in Chinatown in the 11th Ward uh, her whole life. Now her mom still lives downstairs and, and cooks dinner sometimes, and that was a really big part of what we heard yesterday, and we know that that was a really critical factor mm -hmm. in who was going to end up representing what is now going to be, um, for the first time ever, a majority Asian American ward. Well, Amanda, was Nicole Lee a surprising pick for you, or a sensible choice for Lightfoot? I, I think it makes sense. First of all, with a title like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> gotta, gotta I was trying to write it down, as Alex said yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Gotta chuckle at what corporations come up with in terms of these titles. Anyway, um, no, I, I think that certainly uh, there is a recognition that the growing Asian American population in Chicago um, needs more representation in civic life and in political life. So Lightfoot was certainly under pressure and um, presumably recognizes that need. So it was not a surprise. Um, Alex mentioned, of course, her roots in Chinatown in the 11th Ward. What did not go mentioned was that she also has political connections and is the daughter of an albeit disgraced aide to um, former Mayor Daley. So certainly knows her way around politics. And also, it wasn't just Lightfoot making this selection. Certainly community members of the 11th Ward and the um, Chinese American community were played a role in it and had sort of an advisory capacity and were on were, were there when she was announced um by the way at least 
unless this has changed in the the past couple of hours since I checked, she did not say for certain whether she will be actually running for this position once her appointment ends. But it certainly gives her a leg up in the 2023 election were she to do that, which, you know, you kind of figure. I think, Alex, I heard I was not at the press conference, but that she talked about taking a pay cut to do this job. You probably aren't going to do that if you want to take it just for a matter of months versus making this a long term role. Yeah. Very good point. Uh, Alex, was Lightfoot under a lot of pressure, you think, to nominate an Asian American? She was. And I think that a lot of the credit for that really goes to, um, you know, groups like Asian Americans Advancing Justice and and, um, uh, a lot of Chinatown-based organizing groups that for the past year, really, knowing that it's been time to redraw the boundaries of Chicago's ward maps, have really been vocal about this. They've been putting pressure on the city council and anyone who will listen saying, hey, it's, it's time. We are a significant demographic group, the fastest growing demographic group in the city, and we have zero representation out of 50 aldermen on the city council. And so at that point, it really has reached a groundswell to the point where of the two major proposals that are out there to redraw the uh, ward maps, both of them um, envision the 11th ward as this basically 50% plus one Asian American constituency. Um, and so I think that it makes sense that Lightfoot would choose um, an Asian-American person, especially someone like Lee, who has such deep roots in Chinatown and is fluent in, in Cantonese, um, not just because it's sort of the right thing to do, but also because, you know, with a ward that has that constituency, it is in her interest to get someone who can win next year. Wednesday was also a historic day in city council. After 185 years of aldermen voting via paper and pen, they have now gone electronic. Did everything go smoothly, Alex? For the most part, it went smoothly, I would say. There were a couple of hiccups here and there, a couple of delays. Why um, on earth did it take so long say, to go you know, electronic? It's, a good question. it's funny because the clip that you uh, played and the way that a lot of people have been saying it is, you know, the city council has entered the 21st century. I would argue the city council has entered the 20th century with electronic voting now. Um, I mean, Amanda could tell you that electronic voting and the big board in Springfield has been there for, I don't know how long, you know, I don't know how they would. My my entire time of covering Springfield. Right, right. It's crazy to me. I do not understand. I cannot wrap my head around it. I can tell you that those of us in the press box in the city council chamber certainly appreciate having a board that we can look at as opposed to just having to keep our ears open for a roll call vote of you know, uh, Alderman, Alderman the spot, Alderman the spot of Otay, Alderman, you know, sometimes they don't even confirm how they voted and we just really have to listen for whatever they say. So yeah. easier for us, hopefully in the long run, is that you used to the technology, it'll save everyone some time and, and um, uh, hope that the, the whatever little kinks get worked out. And it's part of a multi-million dollar project to modernize city council. Is that right? That's right. This is the City Council Modernization Project that um, City Clerk Anna Valencia has been talking about for a long time, and and the electronic voting is just one piece of it. The rest is things like being able to, you know, file and co-sponsor your legislation and ordinances electronically. This is also something that we as reporters are watching really closely and very hopeful about since we are always checking the, the site to see what's populating on there, and sometimes it can be slow. If this could mean that gone are the days of aldermen sort of walking around in the chamber and passing around their mm-hmm. ordinances and resolutions to get co-sponsor signatures on. Um, you know, for us, that was sort of a fun uh, in-person experience to be able to observe right there in the chamber. But you can imagine also that uh, folks would be interested in just bringing that all into cyberspace instead.
Well, Alex, aldermen might have been happy with this new electronic voting, but how do they react to the mayor creating a new committee to oversee the casino development project? That's right. We've got now the select the city council select committee on the casino. It is now the 20th city council committee. Um, when Lightfoot became mayor, there were 16, and this is now the fourth that she's been responsible for adding, at least in some part, albeit this is going to be a temporary committee. I think that, you know, the biggest issue that a lot of aldermen raised with this is that they, and really everyone, only found out about this committee literally on Tuesday night, less than 24 hours before they were voting, to take this action. The way that Lightfoot defended it was that, you know, we have all of these different aspects of approving a, a new casino. It's such a big venture. There's going to be zoning, there's going to be budget and finance and tax credits that it would really just make sense to loop it all in together in, into one committee that can approve everything. Um, you know, other aldermen who are critical of the mayor generally and certainly critical of this, like Alderman Anthony Beal on Wednesday was saying, not only did we literally just hear about this, but this is clearly just you're trying to create, I think what he called it, the path of least resistance yeah. for all of these different approvals of just, um, you know, instead of putting it through all of these different panels to just pick some of your allies in city council and, and make them in charge of all of it. I think that was uh, the crux of a lot of their issues with it. And quickly tell us who the three finalists for the casino project were. The three finalists are Related Midwest and Rivers Casino's proposal for the 78 on the near south side, um, Bally's proposal for the old Tribune printing site at River West, and um, Hard Rock's proposal uh, for the um, what would be the one central sort of mega development near Museum Campus. I see. Amanda, do you think anyone was surprised to learn that the casino won't be going to McCormick Place? You know, to a degree, there certainly had been resistance, including from... Basically, the people who are going to be hosting would be hosting this itself. And so in that regard, when you get pushback from another entity that is um, semi-government, then no. Uh, But you're also, no matter what, going to be each of these casino proposals that are remaining have their own issues. I'll be curious if in the end there is any way that Lightfoot does not select or this committee does not select any of them because each do have significant drawbacks and pushback from the community could change traffic patterns will change the entire tenor of the city and of course she wants the money to go to pensions this is a major legislative win but by golly is this taking some time all of the other casinos in illinois are have already gone through gaming board approval of course they didn't have the tax issues that chicago's did but this is such a significant change that is going to have lasting ramifications for all of chicago and this decision is major this is reset. I'm if I can also just point out, there it's already delayed. The process is right. delayed. Lightfoot said that she wanted to narrow down to a single one by the end of March. Now we're behind. Which I think shows it some degree of dissatisfaction, perhaps, or at least recognition about the community pushback right. and greater need to have a conversation about that before making a selection. Well, let's pivot to state politics now, Amanda. State Representative Eddie Acevedo who was a one-time aide to Mike Madigan. He was sentenced to six months in prison. So remind us what he pled guilty to. He didn't plead guilty to anything having to do with corruption, his role uh, as a state legislator. Rather, this was a tax issue. 
However, it is connected, of course, to Madigan, because what isn't? Um, Part of it was a tax issue because he was paid as a consultant, one of these many legislators who, upon leaving the General Assembly, then go on to lobby their former peers and had some contracts that are somewhat in question and, of course, were tied to influencing Madigan, other Democrats in the General Assembly. And we know from court filings that prosecutors tried to push him on what was going on with the Madigan operation. And certainly it's pressure beyond just himself because he has two sons who themselves, at least one had been um, aspiring to a political future in Mm -hmm. Chicago. Um, And they also have some issues with the law tied to this. So what we are not clear on is whether there there has been no indication, I should say, that he's cooperating with the feds and anything having to do with Madigan. But... By golly, we will be watching. So the two sons are also facing criminal charges. Exactly. Interesting. So I want to stick with you for a bit here, Amanda. The Illinois legislature is uh, in session this week. So give us a a rundown on what they've been doing and what's on the agenda in the coming weeks. They have been doing um, kind of a lot. I'm not sure how much of it is. There are a lot of bills that are going through the General Assembly right now. I find them them really interesting, but there aren't necessarily the headliners at this point. We're still waiting on that. What we're waiting on is a budget resolution, and we're waiting to hear what is going to happen in terms of a crime bill. Both of the Democratic leaders of the General Assembly, in recognition that this is something that voters care about and that they are getting beaten over the drums by Republicans on, is the issue of crime. They have said that they want to do something dealing with carjackings and retail theft. We have not thus far, however, seen any proposal. The big movement is something that um, actually the governor just today signed into law using some of the federal COVID relief money, uh, $2.7 billion of it, so a pretty big chunk, by the way, to pay down a debt in the state's unemployment insurance trust fund, which sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook, but really it's the fund that pays out unemployment benefits. And so that's important because it had been drained. Illinois was paying interest that, of course, every time you have the state paying interest, that's money that could go to other things, to services. You don't want to be paying money that's going down the drain with interest. Um, And yet this is not all resolved and it leaves the question of what is to come because there still is a significant amount, I believe $1.6 billion of debt in this fund. And in order to resolve that, you could see either a reduction in unemployment benefits, this as the possibility of a recession looms with inflation rising, and or you could also see taxes increase on businesses, this as they are struggling to recover, of course, from the pandemic. And before we take a pause, I want to ask you about this, too, because in a surprising vote, the Democrat-controlled Illinois Senate did not approve the governor's pick for the parole board. Yeah, so this is the prisoner review board that does just what you said. You know, it determines parole situations, and um, it is been something that has been a source of tension for some time. The reason that these are coming ahead in part is because they've gotten media attention. But you, you, I think it shows people sort of think that okay, Democrats, they're all on board. Yes, largely so, but. There's tension there, of course. And also it gets to this issue of crime. Um, Democrats don't want to be tied to anybody that is perceived to have a light touch on crime. And this, by the way, this was just one of the governor's selections. There are a couple of others that are set to be coming before a committee in the full Senate that look to be in trouble. 
This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, it's our weekly news recap where we break down the top local stories. Now, before the break, we got the latest on what's happening in city council, including the mayor's new pick to replace convicted alderman Patrick Daly-Thompson. But there are plenty more stories to get to. Drivers are lining up this morning across the city and suburbs to get some free gasoline. Dr. Willie Wilson, a former candidate for mayor, is giving away $1 million worth of gas. That's about 400 vehicles at each station receiving up to $50 of fuel. President Clinton, President Bush in Chicago and managed to go to Ukrainian Village, put flowers at Stone Cross. For many of senators, yesterday was an opportunity to showcase talking points for the November election. Well, you've made a mess of their stereotype. Here to take us behind the week's headlines are WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky of Chicago Tonight and Alex Nitkin, editor and city hall reporter for The Daily Line. Illinois' senior senator was in the national spotlight this week. That's Dick Durbin, who was in charge of the confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown-Jackson. How do you think he did, Amanda? I mean, he is known for sort of being a peacemaker, having more allegiances across the aisle, being more of a laid back versus fiery character. But of course, you, you saw some fire. I, I think you, you as a Democrat need to sort of walk that line if you're in a position such as his. And you saw it particularly with a tense exchange when uh, Republican Senator Ted Cruz uh, fired a line of questioning at um, Brown Jackson. What is interesting about these hearings, of course, is that on both sides, I think people hear what they want to hear from the nominee, uh, from the senators on the panel. Uh, There presumably is far more that is gleaned at one-on-one exchanges between the senators and um, Brown Jackson the judge than there is at a hearing like this. So certainly necessary, I think, for the public when given a lifetime appointment. But what you have, of course, is that it's really sort of an opportunity to posture and preen on the part of senators who are aspiring themselves for higher office, a.k.a. running for president. And it seems as if there's some of that. And I'm not sure how much you're going to have that is actually um, changing a senator's mind or calculation on how they will vote going forward because so much of this at this point is sheer partisanship and looking to political future consequences of breaking across party lines. So it really is something that I I think is important for the public, however, to pay attention to and to to learn, to hear, to see a family, um, an individual who is going to be nominated to a position, least of all, of course, a historic position being the first black woman to be on, potentially get a spot on the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, I was just trying to count how many times I heard Durbin say, if she could just complete her response. Right. If you could just let her speak. And I think part of that, women are particularly sensitive to that, um, particularly uh, black women. People are watching in anger. I think part of that is also legislative hearings. When you're having people wanting to to get in, they want to show they're tough. If, as a Republican, that's part of the equation. Republicans say, hey, wait, you did that to ours. Remember those uh, hearings with Kavanaugh and Barrett? They were pretty tense, too. You interrupted. So uh, there's there's both. And this is what I mean to say when people on both sides are going to be prickly for good reason. Alex, uh, two former presidents were in Chicago this week showing their support for Ukraine. Can you fill us in on that? They were. I think this was a little bit of a surprise. They just sort of showed up in Ukrainian village at a local Ukrainian church. And um, 
you know, basically sort of a, a photo op, but they were there together wearing, um, you know, uh, yellow ribbons and just laying sunflowers, which I learned today is the national flower of Ukraine at mm -hmm. the steps of the church, just trying to, you know, be another part of the kind of national and especially here in Chicago in a Ukrainian village where there's such a significant Ukrainian population just watching in horror uh, what is going on over there, trying to make their visibility and presence known and just another sign of, you know, a former Republican and Democratic president um, trying to keep up this uh, image of solidarity that, you know, Americans are all sort of behind Ukraine. Um, and it was interesting that they showed they chose Chicago as uh, as the place to do that. And it was so low key, you know, I mean, it was just this video and it was like, wait, when did this happen? It was even kind of hard to tell because of the weather change. Um, and you got to wonder, I, I unfortunately don't have any inroads into knowing this, if um, President Obama was is supposed to have been there. And that's perhaps why Chicago was selected. Also, of course, because of the large Ukrainian population, mm -hmm. um, Ukrainian village. But of yeah, course, the, the former president um, had COVID. So perhaps that's connected to his lack of presence. Well, shifting gears, there was some terribly sad news in the LGBTQ community this week. Uh, missing Evanston activist Elise Mallory's body was found in Lake Michigan. Uh, I want to start off by playing a little bit of what Iggy Ladin of the Chicago Therapy Collective told us here on Reset yesterday about their former friend and colleague, Elise. I think she would hope that her legacy would be a constant reminder that we're not doing enough for black trans women in this city. I think her hope would be that allies, particularly white, uh, cisgender, straight allies, would realize that they have a role to play in supporting our trans communities. Amanda, what do we know about what might have happened to Elise? Uh, not not a lot, frankly, just that she had been missing for a couple of days, hadn't responded to her sister. There was an about week long search before um, her body was found in the lake. It is, of course, sad, um, tragic, I think, bringing recognition to the increased um, rates of everything from suicide to bullying of trans individuals um, and I have to say, I saw someone, I, I, I did not know her at all, know that she had recently uh, left the Illinois Attorney General's office, mm -hmm. um, really recently, uh, like within the early March, days before her having gone missing. Um, I, I saw somebody describe her as having a soft voice, but a sharp tongue. And I thought that mm. was a really powerful way of describing an advocate. Yeah. Let's turn out to schools. The teacher strike is over in the West Suburban uh, Proviso District. Did the teacher get, teachers get what they wanted, Amanda? Well, I, I think so. I, I will say one of the struggles with covering um, any sort of strikes or contact negotiations is that you're, of course, not privy to really the details. Uh, we, we don't know. We haven't seen the contract yet. Um, it is his still a tentative agreement that needs to be actually approved by the teachers union. So we don't know the the details. And that's, I think, just something for um, reporters to, to keep in mind. We do know, of course, that some of the things were about uh, class size, about salary. Uh, and so 
they seemingly got what they want because this is certainly arguments that got tense, went on for two weeks, three, albeit one of them was spring break. But this involves really a, a lot of students, three schools in Proviso. And by the way, Proviso had been uh, the school board that was where Illinois House Speaker Emanuel Chris, Chris Welch had yeah. his political beginning. Alex, uh, Chicago Public Schools made news, too. They have moved the first day of school for next year up to August 22nd. That's bringing CPS closer in line with that, uh, with what suburban districts were already doing. Is that right? That's right. And it's part of some of the aftershocks that I think we're still seeing from the labor action lockout, whatever you want to call it, uh, in January when uh, CPS missed five days of school as CTU, the Chicago Teachers Union, and CPS were in negotiations over how to essentially keep the schools safe amid the pandemic. Um, we also heard that CPS is going to, uh, they're not going to make up five, those five lost school days, which CTU had wanted uh, for the, you know, pay for its employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, they did also this coming year move up the start date to August 22nd. Yeah, um, so early. They sort of said they, they yeah, sorry, they, they I'm talking. Talk- my CPS mom, mom side yeah. is coming out. I'm sorry, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so early. I, I, I remembering back to my school days. Yeah, I would not would not want that even necessarily. I think that what CPS CEO Pedro Martinez was saying is that he was engaging a lot of different stakeholders with this, and that unsurprisingly, parents wanted to start a little bit later, but um, you know, teachers and principals were saying, "No, let's get in early and, and start to make up some of that that lost time." I, I loved school as a kid. I mean, really, I am Did you? naturally curious. Of course, you know, I mean, I don't like tests, but everything else. <laughs> but still, is there any good time to return from summer break? Not August no, 22nd. No, nope. <laughs> no, no, ma'am. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are going behind the headlines on Reset's weekly news recap. My guests are WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky of Chicago Tonight and Alex Nitkin, who's editor and city hall reporter for The Daily Line. All right, Alex, drivers in the Chicago area were pumped up once again this week for free gas gas giveaways, and it caused long lines of traffic. Can you remind us what this is all about? Yeah, so yesterday was uh, the Willie Wilson gas giveaway Palooza Part 2. Essentially, uh, last week he announced that he was going to give away $250,000 in free gas at select stations around the city. Um, and, you know, say what you want about the intentions and the people who got the gas, but I, I think there was sort of a consensus that it was just a mess. There were people lined up for blocks and hours. It was just snarling traffic in whole neighborhoods. You couldn't get anywhere. It was, was it a bigger mess? Was it a bigger mess this time around? No, you know, I think that people, from what I've been seeing, say that even though he gave away more money, supposedly a million dollars in free gas on Thursday, um, that it was a little smoother. I think that Chicago's OEMC and emergency personnel had a little bit more time to prepare and sort of figure out game plans. They had people out there directing traffic. You know, this whole affair, I think there are two big takeaways for me, one of which is just this an insight into Willie Wilson's really interesting, unique brand mm-hmm. of politics, which is that on the one hand, he is this very sort of appealing to conservatives, kind of he grew up poor and, and became a millionaire, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, anyone can be successful. We you know, know that he's friendly with some Republicans. And on the other hand, this, this unique approach to politics is just give people money, give away money, and people will not forget that, that, that they were helped. Um, and we know that he finished in fourth place out of 13 in the last mayor race, which mm-hmm. surprised a lot of people, had really strong showing. I think the second takeaway here is just how much 
public transit and alternatives to driving have been lost in this conversation. I think that we've been hearing a lot of frustration from the sort of transit advocacy uh, world saying, you know, Willie Wilson could have, instead of spending $250,000 um, clogging up traffic and having people idling for hours to help a couple thousand people, could have, you know, offered 100,000 free CTA rides and made it people easier for people to not even have to drive. And you I know, think this also plays into what Mayor Lori Lightfoot is saying about potentially rolling back the city's gas tax. You know, I asked her about this in the press conference, and she said, you know, well, Chicago is a car city. And we need to be able to make it easier for people to drive and sort of yeah. in a sort of half-choking afterthought said, like, yeah, we also want people to take the CTA. But, um, and, you know, a third of the people in the city of Chicago don't own cars. People rely mm-hmm. on the CTA. Very good point. And um, I think there's just, uh, you know, maybe some frustration that more of this effort isn't um, well, being put into making alternatives to driving easier. So I you think don't have to worry about the gas. Th- three other quick add-ons here. Number one, there is pressure at every level of government to do something about gas taxes. That is something that we're going to see play out in the Illinois budget because, of course, whenever you do that, that has consequences. Those taxes pay for things. And then there are those who... Uh, so, so that's part of it, number one. Number two, I will say that it is interesting because in your introduction, Sasha, you, you described Willie Wilson as a former mayoral candidate. Of course, one has to question when you get headlines such as this, is he also a future mayoral candidate just because it hasn't worked in the past I think that leads to number three what is interesting in sort of telling about the times is that he has previously given away like cold hard cash and yet this got more attention I think in part because it impacted others because of the snarled traffic that was referenced but also just because gas prices are something that I think kind of everybody associates with in a different way no matter what your income level it's somehow more relatable and got all of this traction and that shows how significant this is weighing on residents on voters minds at this time speaking of the mayor's race there are some rumors about a potential new candidate alex what is our colleague and and frequent recap guest greg hines at crane chicago business reporting on yeah greg got uh wind of and i think was able to take a poll that went out and we were hearing from sort of various different sources um you know, just uh, uh, innocently asking if they would support uh, Lightfoot for re-election in a campaign against uh, Congressman Mike Quigley, who has represented the 5th District, which, which now includes a big chunk of the north side and sort of northwest suburbs of Chicago. Um, interestingly, he was, uh, he became the congressman in that seat when the former congressman, a guy named Rahm Emanuel, um, left to go to D.C., um, Quigley had been a Cook County commissioner. He took the uh, congressional seat. He has since been, I would say, relatively low profile, um, you know, kind of middle of, of the road as far as the party is concerned, um, uh, you know, in terms of his politics, um, sort of a party guy, has some leadership positions, doesn't make a ton of waves, but certainly speaks out when it's appropriate. And I think that what we're really just seeing is that a lot of people, a lot of potential candidates, are recognizing the mayor is potentially um, pretty weak, both between you know crime and, and, and criticism that she's getting on various different fronts and different kinds of polling showing her as being vulnerable. And this is really just the latest evidence that yeah. everyone is going to be trying to test the waters and see how weak she really is. And Amanda, there is some controversy surrounding the Ricketts family's bid for England's Chelsea Soccer Club. 
fans and players, they're pretty upset over some leaked emails. I know you're not a sports reporter, but quickly tell us what you're hearing. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, but the Premier League is what we're talking yes, about here. Please, the Premier League. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, that is a terrible accent. Apologies, Apologies to everybody whose yes. ears that hit. But um, this does have to do, of course, with the, the, the Cubs owners, the Ricketts, having to do with what the patriarch, the, the guy who made the money that allows the Ricketts um, family to now have its role, and that is Joe, who started TD Ameritrade. And these are emails that had surfaced in which there was some pretty um, hateful anti-Muslim rhetoric for which he has apologized. And the family now says, hey, we have recognize we do not stand by this sort of language or sentiment and we have lasting relationships now that were built as a result of this with Chicago's Muslim community. Uh, thus far, it appears, despite a uh, trip by some members of the Ricketts family to England to meet with supporters of the Chelsea Club, that it they're not taking it, they're not buying it at mm. this point in time, and there's still significant pushback, um, particularly because in Chelsea, there is a large Muslim population. So I, I am not clear as to what all goes into making these decisions and whether it will be a highest bid sort of thing um, or whether this is enough to get the rickets out of the soccer or football, if you will, game overseas. Well, before we go, each of you take 30 seconds and tell me what stories are on your radar for the coming week. You go first, Alex. Uh, casino, uh, weather, um, Nicole Lee's confirmation is extremely smooth or whether she gets some tough questions mm -hmm. and always the Chicago remap, what twists and turns will come next. Oh, the remap. What about you, Amanda? <laughs> Everything Alex said, I will agree. It is, again, the waning days of the General Assembly. Normally, we've got until the end of May, except for with this revised just this year election schedule. They're set to be done April 8th. So they got to get moving. As I noted earlier, that crime package is going to be something that I am most certainly watching for. And then um, also, again, the gas tax. What is Illinois going to do about that and other tax relief packages? And then I'll have to add, um, I know this week we didn't have a chance to talk about Lala, Ravinia. I'm going to be checking my um, calendar and my music wallet festivals. to see what who who which awesome musical artists are going to I'm going to be able to watch as all of the the fun returns to Chicago with hopefully another COVID surge not on the way. Summertime shy is hopefully in full effect. That is Amanda Vinicky of WTTW Chicago tonight and Alex Nitkin of the Daily Line. Thank you both for joining us and have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.